the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. The Comey Memos. They were finally delivered. Congress had them in their hands. So, of course, those hands passed them immediately to the press in record time, literally within minutes. Nancy Pelosi quickly tweeted last night regarding the contents of the memos, quote, the release of the hashtag Comey memos are further proof of at real Donald Trump's contempt for the rule of law. His attempts to intimidate, circumvent the law, and undermine the integrity of law enforcement investigations demand immediate action to protect the Mueller investigation. Hashtag follow the facts. Now, maybe Pelosi got her hands on a group of different memos because we've all read the 15-page leak, um, and I don't find what she's describing. In fact, it appears to me to be kind of the opposite. Comey's memos cover conversations with the president from January 7th to April 11th, 2017. And Comey has hinted that these conversations would prove that the president was guilty of a crime. In fact, they wouldn't release these to the uh, to the Congress because, well, they would uh, it would hurt the investigation. I do where how because I don't see collusion and I don't see obstruction. In almost every single memo, there are three topics that routinely pop up. The first one, the Russian hookers and the infamous, you know, golden showers rumor. The president seemed really worried about that. And not because he thought it was true, but because how embarrassing it looked. Also, you know, I think Melania was probably a little upset. Even even if she knew it was untrue. To have this said about your husband and have half of the country believe this stuff had to have been upsetting. The second thing, Comey notes that the president was really worried about the leaks. He should be, both in the FBI and in the West Wing. Now, to me, if you didn't laugh out loud when you read this line from Comey, you have absolutely no sense of irony. Quote, I told the president that I was reliable in one way, but not in the way political people sometimes use the term. I explained that he could count on me to always tell the truth. I said, I don't do sneaky things. I don't leak. I don't do weasel moves. No, no, (laughs) no, not at all. I just I just leak this stuff and uh, then write a book about it. Was Comey setting up the ultimate scenario for literary students in universities all over the world to understand the term poetic justice? Because within a few months of telling the president he's reliable, he doesn't leak, he's not a weasel, he's both leaking these conversations to the press and writing a tell-all book. And lastly, the third and most common topic Comey mentions in the memos were... um, mentions any mention at all that it might have made reference to his job he seemed a little worried about that the president never appeared ready or willing to fire him 
But Comey seems overly hypersensitive to it. So what do we learn from this? I don't think anything. I really don't. I would say that Comey's memos were just as disappointing and uneventful as one of his press conferences. But that wouldn't even be entirely true because out of the seven total memos, four of them have been redacted and classified. Three of them are not. Remember these numbers. Four have been redacted. Three have not. What does that mean? That means that there is hypersensitive, top-secret information in four of the messages, uh, memos. Three don't have that classification. Well, Comey allegedly leaked four of these memos to his friend in order to be given to the press. That means, at the very minimum, one of those memos was classified. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But he's so careful. He wouldn't have done anything like that. You're right. You're right. Neither would the Secretary of State. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Is this the smoking gun that is really coming out of these memos? Ricky Ricardo used to say it all the time. You got some splaining to do. It's Friday, April 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Oh, this is going to be a good day to have Bill O'Reilly on. Bill O'Reilly's on in about 55 minutes or so. And uh, I got to get right to this. Page 10 of the memos. Here we go. He then pivoted to the Russians wanting an apology from Bill O'Reilly. I said I had seen that. And O'Reilly's reply, which was to call him in 2023. The president then said O'Reilly's question about whether he respected Putin had been a hard one. He said he does respect the leader of a major country and thought that it was the best answer. He said, you think my answer was good, right? I said the answer was fine, except the part of the killers, because we aren't the kind of killers that Putin is. When I said this, the president paused noticeably. I didn't know what to make of it, but he clearly noticed that I had directly criticized him. I can't wait to talk to Bill O'Reilly because he brings it up every week. He does. Every yes. week. He's mm-hmm. like, and you know, another thing, uh, uh, Bill, what do you think about pudding? Well, when I was talking to the president in my interview <laughs> after the Super Bowl, I <laughs> criticized his uh, thinking about Putin. And I also like chocolate pudding. <laughs> so he's going to he's going to have a lot to say uh, about this uh, today. And I can't wait to get his his take. What is your take on the memos? I mean, I don't think there's much that's new in there. I mean, for all the beating that uh, Comey has taken for selling the book, you just made that point, which I think is legitimate. You know, I mean, people have been critical of him as far as trying to make money off of this. I think that's fair. But on the other side of it, if his goal was solely to make money off of this, he has a terrible rollout of this material because this is all just supporting evidence to what he said when he was uh, in front of Congress. Mm-hmm. Right? He's already testified about Everything that seemingly is in the book, I have not read the book yet. Uh, I've only seen the excerpts, but nothing that I've seen in the excerpts have led me to anything new. And these memos, I mean, I guess you could look at them if you are a Comey supporter and say, okay, I mean, they they look like, was there a doubt when you were reading them that this stuff 
happened? No. I mean, it seems like they were legitimately what happened in these meetings. And and most importantly, his impressions, not facts, but his impressions of of what happened in those conversations. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be highlighting things he felt were important in the conversation and what, how he felt about them. Right. That's what I guess what you do when you're making a contemporaneous memo. Yeah, but can I pause there for a second? Sure. Your Honor, may I approach the you, bench? You may. Yes. Um, he's well known for making contemporaneous memos, right? He is. Um, I, I, are there memos about his meetings with Lynch and Clinton? I think he did address that at, again in a previous uh, conversation. I believe he. I believe he said he. Did not, yeah, because he did not think of uh-huh. them as he didn't think he was going to be a dishonest conversation that the person would later uh, lie about what the, what was said. Uh, so he believed he he had a distrust. He believed for Trump. Hillary Clinton and Loretta Lynch. He believed them and thought, well, they'll never be doing anything. Sh-. Hillary Clinton. I mean, he complimented Lynch specifically, saying she was nice, but less competent. I think was was the was the mm-hmm. general vibe than Eric Holder. But again, she he worked for he's worked for Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, and, I know. And he didn't. He also didn't seemingly make those memos about George W. Bush, right? So uh, I guess you could you could you could make. I don't know. You know. Again, I don't know. I all guess I guess that. if you just you know if you if you look at the president and say the guy is a serial liar. Then you start to you start to make the memos, but if yeah, you don't a, if you don't also think that Hillary Clinton, in the right. midst of an investigation uh, uh, about leaking secret documents, that that might be used and turned around by Hillary Clinton and her operatives, you're oh. a, you're an idiot. Particularly when you're the one that's gone through an investigation in which you've called her extremely careless right. and right. you've dealt with uh, the Clintons uh, mm-hmm. for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a new book coming out by a, an author who was embedded in the Clinton campaign. And they, and this is from a mainstream journalist, not a conservative, obviously, uh, talking about how Biden w- wanted to run and decided partially not to because he knew he would be destroyed by the Clintons. Um, and that's, you know, you know, if Joe Biden, a, a theoretical ally in every so. circumstance except a primary, it feels that way, you'd have to believe that Comey, after going through an investigation that could, you know, hurt Clinton's chances at the presidency, would feel that way. And I say, and I say something. You can. Here's the truth. Mm -hmm. If I may, if I may quote the Daily Beast, no one in modern politics, male or female, has had to withstand more indignities and setbacks and criticism and cynicism. She's developed a protective armor that made the real Hillary Clinton an enigma. There is no real Hillary Clinton. I love that too. It's it's it's, her, it's not her fault. Yeah, it's not her fault. She can't communicate who she is. It's the fault of everyone else who just can't see. Well, no, no, no. I'm gonna go. I'm may I? I'm mm-hmm. gonna go a little. I'm gonna go a little farther. Uh, you were just talking about how uh, Biden has confided off the record that he wanted to run, but quite you don't understand these people. The Clintons will try to destroy me. Okay. But Hillary Clinton on election night, quote, they were never going to let me be president. Oh, my, oh my God. 
It's deep state. It's deep state. <laughs> yeah, all aligned against Hillary. <laughs> all right, let me tell you about Filter Buy. Brand new sponsor, Filter Buy. Um, this 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 matters to your health. It, it, in Texas, and I don't know what it's like uh, around you. I mean, unless, well, I was going to say, unless you live in Phoenix, but even even there, things are really, really bad. Uh, if you have bad allergies, your filter makes all the difference in the world. U.S. companies lose $250 million a year doing, due to employees suffering with allergies. Are you kidding me? A quarter of a billion dollars a year because of allergies? I don't know about you, but when my allergies get bad, uh, there's just nothing that will stop them. Changing the air filter can make a world of dis- difference in a workplace uh, in your productivity and the general health of everybody inside that building. Now, think about how this would make a difference for you at home, especially when you sleep. Filter Buy is America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses because they make it really easy for you to improve the quality of the air that everybody breathes, and it saves you money because it reduces the wear and tear on your HVAC system. All of the air filters are manufactured right here in America, shipped for free within 24 hours. You can even set up auto delivery if you want, save 5%, and you will never need a reminder. The filter will arrive when it is time to change your air filter. Now, 600 sizes are available, including custom options. You're going to find the right filter for your home or for your business, and they're going to make it really, really simple, made here in America, and really inexpensive. That's filterby.com. Filter, B-U-Y.com. Filterby.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Hey, just a uh, personal note. Our good friend, uh, Pat Gray is uh, has been in and out of the hospital for the last few days, and we would just ask for your prayers uh, for him and his family. I saw him last night, and he's he's doing well, but uh, he's had a rough week. He's had a really rough week. Um, he um, uh, he went into uh, the hospital for some pain. Uh, thought it was kidney stones. It wasn't. Uh, he had to have uh, surgery. He was in full-fledged kidney failure. Oh, my God. Uh, and uh, he went into the hospital like at 6.30. He was, he was out and under the knife by 9. Uh, and uh, he's, he's doing fine. They corrected everything. Um, but uh, he, 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 it's, it's been a bad week for Pat. And, oh, my God. Uh, so please keep him in your prayers. He is on the mend and doing well, but... Uh, it was, it, it, it's weird because he's, he's, you know, Pat he, at one point he, cause he gets injections in his back, steroid injections in his back. Like I do. And you don't take those, you know, without anesthesia, you know, there's no. jamming needles into your back. Um, and, um, he didn't want to ask anybody to drive him home because you can't drive home after that. Uh, and so he decided to forego the anesthesia. We go to the same doctor, and the doctor was like, I, I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy. <laughs> I begged him not to do it, but he didn't want to bother anybody. So we haven't really known what, what's been going on with Pat. We've been getting bits and pieces, and I went over last night, and I'm like, okay, dude, what is happening? And 
he didn't know for most of the week, but he's doing much better. Oh, good. But uh, and out of the woods, I think uh, yesterday, I think he turned took a turn for the better. But it was it was a little touch and go. So I think the risk with Pat is that he's in such terrible pain all the time that, that don't, if you, you have a sudden in, you know, increase in pain, he just thinks it's normal. Yeah. So, you you know, he probably doesn't rush to the hospital. I don't think I've ever seen anybody in more constant pain than Pat. Yeah, I mean, major back problems. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've known him since 1989. His first back surgery was the year I met him. Uh, you know, so he's been in agonizing pain. So if I could forever. just, I guess, just summarize it. Basically, before he met you, he was pain-free. And well, now he's been, it's been well, pain since know. that I, moment, I'm basically. I'm not sure... And it, basically, well, I guess it is incredible what pain you're saying since he is, ran into you. What you're saying is mm-hmm. his lower back could be described as his ass. <laughs> and I would be the pain. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> OK, thank you, Stu, for that. Makes me feel really it makes me feel super good. Um, yesterday, um, uh, we went through a list and uh, and tried to make a list and it was kind of happened offhandedly yesterday was the 23rd anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing and we were talking about it on the air and and this happened in 1995 and I was really um 1995 was a big year for me uh I was just starting to sober up and uh and I was really starting to look at the world and try to figure out what I knew and what I didn't know. And in 1995, we had the Oklahoma City bombing in April. And then in October, the O.J. Simpson verdict came back. So while we were watching the O.J. trial, the verdict comes back just a few months later after the bombing. And it was I I remember standing watching the television and seeing people cheer that he was found not guilty. And I just shook my head and I'm like, I, I don't understand my country anymore. I don't, how can this guy who grew up here in America just bomb this building and kill all these people? And then a few months later, how, how can O.J. Simpson, a hero of so many, cut the head off of his wife, which was hard to believe in the first place, and then be found not guilty. I, I just, I didn't understand it. And then yesterday I start going down this list of all of the things that happened after, then Monica Lewinsky and, uh, and then, um, you know, the, the Bush Gore, uh, you know, Bush uh, v. Gore and, you know, selected, not elected, and then September 11th and then the wars and Michael Moore and, you know, us and fake news and all of this stuff. And I thought, what a beating we have taken. Is there anything that has made us feel good about the institutions and about our country and about people? Has there anything that has happened where all of us have united like we did on 9-12? We united in our fear, but we were united. We were one. So we started making this list. The miracle on the Hudson, Sully Sullenberger. That was a day that I think every American went Wow, miracles happen. Wow, people are amazing. The Houston hurricanes, the response here in Houston, um, the rescue of Elizabeth Smart, the uh, Paris shooting on the train with the three Americans, um, the, um, the Amish response to the shooting, the Charleston response to the shooting. 
even SpaceX. There have been some amazing things. But as I look at this last night, they make us believe in people, not institutions. And those institutions have been being battered time and time again. And one of the biggest battering we'll talk about next. Back. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So Stu and I saw a uh, movie this uh, earlier this week that comes out. Is it released today? Do you know? I think it's tonight, right? Um, Little Pink House. Uh, it is It is quite an amazing story of something that I, I don't think anybody really pays attention to. We were just talking about how our institutions have just taken a beating where we don't really trust any of our institutions. And it's I think it's because we no longer follow the Constitution of the United States. We are violating the uh, the Bill of Rights all the time. And it has become, you know, the, the way everybody just does business. You know, I can fire you or do whatever I want. I can I can uh, shut you down on campus for speech. You know, because of a safe zone, I can I can take your wealth, seize your property and just sell it off without any kind of charges or any kind of uh, court case. Uh, I can spy on you. It almost in fact, I make the case that all of the top 10 in the Bill of Rights, the first 10, they've all been violated on a regular basis. And that is the source of our trouble. We are a we are a country that is based upon the idea that there are certain inalienable rights that you cannot violate. And as we violate those rights in this system, the system takes a beating. And the people suffer. There is a case that um, uh, of eminent domain that is phenomenal. And I remember when this court case came out, it was the Kilo case. I remember thinking, not really hearing anything about it until it was over and thinking, how, how is that possible? How can a city come in and take a bunch of houses and then give that property to a private corporation? Well, there's uh, a movie made about it now. It's called uh, Little Pink House. And Scott Bullock, he is the president of the Institute of Justice. He's the lawyer that is portrayed in this movie, and he's joining us now. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, So tell me a little bit about uh, Suzette Kilo. For anybody who doesn't remember the Kilo case, kind of summarize it. Sure. Uh, Suzette Kilo uh, was a paramedic, uh, lived in in Connecticut, and... um, she had left a bad marriage after raising five sons and uh, was starting a new lease on life. And she saw a little cottage uh, when she was making one of her runs in, a, in the ambulance and uh, fell in love with this place that, as she said, had a millionaire's view on an EMT's salary. It was the first piece of property that she ever owned in her entire life. And she uh, bought it, fixed it up, painted uh, it her favorite color, pink, and um, about a year after she had finally found a little sanctuary for herself in life, she got a knock on the door, 
uh, and was told that uh, because a new Pfizer plant was moving in next door, that the city wanted to do uh, development to supposedly complement this Pfizer facility. And if she didn't sell, eminent domain was going to be used against her and uh, her neighbors to clear them out to make way for these development projects because the city wanted more tax revenue and increased economic development. So that's a, that's exactly the opposite of what eminent domain was designed to be used for, of course, which is authorized under the Constitution only for public use. So here's the amazing thing. I used to work um, at Radio City Music Hall, and I would drive up to 30 Rock, and there are two buildings, um, and they are both part of 30 Rockefeller Center. There are two buildings that do not fit the Art Deco architecture. Even Rockefeller, who was building when nobody else was building, providing all kinds of jobs, all kinds of taxes for, I don't even remember what it is, 12 city blocks he had to buy every single piece of property. Those two, uh, uh, those two uh, buildings that are now part of 30 Rock were left there because those were the two people that said, I'm not selling. He, right. Even he couldn't use eminent domain like this. What's happened to us? Well, it, it, it happened over the course of many decades uh, where, and this is what usually happens, is where exceptions start being made to the Constitution and words start being changed. And so public use was pretty clear. It meant for true public uh, projects like a road or a bridge or things that were uh, used all by the public, like a railroad or a public utility where everybody had right to, to use the Hosp- uh, hospital uh, the line. A hospital, that sort of thing with it. Uh, But then government started to wanting to do these, what was then in the 50s and 60s, called urban renewal projects. So they said, well, it would amount to taking land from one private owner and handing it over to another private owner. That sounds like private use, not public use, as it stands in the Constitution. But they said, well, let's read the public use provision broadly to mean things like public benefits. And public benefits are more tax revenue, more jobs, and increased economic activity. And so over the course of several decades, this provision kept getting watered down. Government power kept growing. And then it got to the point where not just Rockefeller, but just about any business, uh, big box retail stores, condominium developers, Pfizer, and others could say, you know what, we would like to have this property. It's great. It's right down by the water. And we could make better use of this land than what the current owners are doing. And if they don't want to sell, we'll just get the government to take it for them. Developers love it. They get land on the cheap. And then uh, government thinks that, well, maybe these projects will produce more tax revenue. And it's, at, of course, at the expense of our constitutional rights. You made This point is very well illustrated in the movie as you're making your argument in front of the Supreme Court, where you talk about if there's a Motel 6 that is put mm-hmm. up somewhere, they can actually tear down even a business to build a better hotel, because in theory, that would bring in more tax revenue. Exactly. In theory. And that's, and that's the, the key, and as, as, as the key cases, you know, exhibit A in this, is all the government has to do in these instances and in private businesses is project. We project that this will create X million dollars in new tax revenue or uh, several hundred more in new jobs. And then oftentimes, as the movie illustrates and as so many of these projects uh, have played out over the years, that the projections at, at uh, best fail to live up to expectations. Well, it's not... 
or they never come to to mm-hmm. pass at all. Yeah, and that's that's the key on the Kilo case. This this changed our country, uh, and and it was all done because of urban renewal. It wasn't really given to uh, Pfizer. They this was adjunct uh, land, if if I understand right, where they were going right. to build apartments and hotels and and restaurants and movie theaters. So the city just seizes it. And the uh, mows all of these houses down, um, it causes all these people to lose their homes. And in the end, what's on that property today? Nothing but weeds and mm. uh, and feral cats. Un- That's what's there. Unbelievable. They never even it never even came to fruition. I've, I've been, I, mean, I grew up in Connecticut, as, as you know, Glenn, um, and I've spent a lot of my summers in that town. There's a there was a little water slide park in that town called Ocean Ocean Beach Park, I believe it was called. Um, and I, we used to go down there every summer, right, right down near this area. And, you know, it's not that it was not the nicest area in the world. However, you know, it doesn't matter if you if you purchase property, that should be the end of the story. And I think what you outlined, uh, Scott, in the in the in the uh, in the movie, uh, and of course, more importantly, in your actual <laughs> constitutional argument is that. In a way, this almost this ruling, if taken to its logical uh, extent, it, it almost invalidates the concept of private ownership of property. Yes, right. That's exactly right. Because anybody could come up with a better use of your property than you're making of it. They could say, uh, you know, we think this would be better used in the hands of this person over here. So it really is a vision of eminent domain without any sort of limitations whatsoever. But the good news in the wake of the Kelo decision is the backlash against this was so strong, and people were so upset about this for that very reason. I mean, this is a this is a case that everybody instantly understood and could not believe that the court would sign off on something like this. That many states changed their uh, their laws in order to better protect uh, property owners. State supreme courts, nine state supreme courts, have gone in the opposite direction under their own state constitutions, which usually doesn't happen. Usually state Supreme Courts follow what the U.S. Supreme Court uh, has done. So you know, a lot of good has come out of the brave stand that Suzette and her neighbors have uh, took in this case, but more needs to be done. And um, historical memory, and people forget the lessons of history, right? And so now you're hearing governments and private parties saying, you know, we've got to get serious about redevelopment again in our town. And, um, and so this movie is extremely timely because uh, it reminds people what's at stake in this fight and to not go down the path that New London did in, uh, in, in the Kilo case. So um, you say there's been a lot of progress uh, because we were so outraged, but there there has been another kind of seizing of property where uh, the the government can come in and take your property without accusing you of a, of a crime or without without um, a trial and just take your property and uh, and sell it off and you're left with nothing. Right. I mean, I think you're talking about civil forfeiture. Yes. That's right. And and that is something that has been a major part of our work, um, uh, fighting for private property rights uh, as well. And this is something that has been a growing, again, throughout the country o- over a number of years. And it's another thing, like eminent domain abuse, that people can't believe that this power exists in a country Correct. that's supposed to re- respect private property rights and, and rights to due process. The government can take your property without convicting or even charging you with a crime. How is that possible? In the same way, people think, wait a minute, the government can take your house and give it to Costco? 
what? How, how How is that even possible in this country? Are you so, are, are you concerned, Scott? I mean, I read about uh, civil asset forfeiture uh, and the, the way uh, the, the amount of those stories that is out there. Once you start scratching at the surface is remarkable. And it, it was started because, hey, we got to be able to seize the drug lords. Well, that's not what's happening anymore. Uh, and it, it is it seems to be growing at an exponential rate. Is that just my perception? No, you're absolutely right. And uh, it is it has been it's a huge problem, uh, not only at the federal level, but it, in many states. So but it, but again, because of some of this backlash, we're seeing some states have actually changed their laws to better protect property owners. But so much more needs to be done. And what's driving it is the fact that um, in at the federal level and in most states, uh, law enforcement agencies get to keep yep. the money that they forfeit yes. for their own use. Every economist that tells you incentives matter. If you give people the wrong incentives, they're going to respond accordingly. So is there you're going any to see is, an increase of focus? Is there any is there any real pushback that is that is hope on the horizon on this one? There is. I mean, several states now have changed their laws. In the, uh, we've been doing a, a campaign to, to try to uh, to try to stop this, uh, and so there's been changes. Nebraska uh, in the past year, uh, it just basically abolished civil forfeiture at the state level, and so that's very uh, encouraging. Um, and there is sort of this in the same way that um, eminent domain abuse unites left and right, oftentimes, and people from both sides of the, uh, the ideological spectrum are concerned about it. Civil forfeiture is another one of those issues where there's some bipartisan agreement that this is a real problem. Uh, but the people in power, the people that benefit from this, of course, don't want the laws uh, changed on this. So it, it, is a, it is a Herculean struggle to try to, to try to fight back against this. We're talking to Scott Bullock from the Institute of Justice, an organization you need to know more about if you don't already. Um, but Scott, I, I, on a personal matter, you you're a lawyer you know arguing in front of the supreme court's got to be one of the craziest things i mean like you know when you start out from this field this is like the top of the line right so right. what's it like tell us what it's like to actually do that argue in front of the supreme court in a, in a in a huge case like this and then also what's it like to see yourself portrayed in a movie that's got to be bizarre and not what you're looking for when you start as a lawyer Exactly. It is. It is a little bizarre uh, to do that. I think the fellow that played me did did a nice job uh, with it. And and what I also like about the case too is it keeps keeps the focus on the clients, as we always do in our work too, is to uh, portray their stories. They're the yeah. ones who are you know out there uh, standing up for their standing up for their rights. And to argue before the Supreme Court, of course, is a great uh, honor to do that. And and um, it, it, it's many ways thrilling, intimidating. But what you also see too is that oftentimes. Um, the court has questions about um, yeah. where you draw the lines on yeah. this, and that's what happened uh, in, during the argument. And the and the city admitted that there are no, really no lines. Yeah, and that, was it was, that was an amazing part of it. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, that was that was incredible. Scott, thank you so much, Scott Bullock, President of Institute of Justice. The the movie is Little Pink House. Go to littlepinkhousemovie.com to bring it to a theater near you or to watch the film. Find out how you can watch it. Littlepinkhousemovie.com. Every constitutionalist should be watching this. Everybody who thinks we're kind of in some trouble should be watching this movie, littlepinkhousemovie.com. All right, another big data breach. 
recently reported hackers stole information from more than 5 million credit card and debit card users. Uh, anybody that used uh, anything, a credit card, in a Saks Fifth Avenue store, Saks Off Fifth, and Lord & Taylor store. Now, some of the card information was put up for sale on the dark web as soon as the breach went viral. There are threats everywhere, and you're not going to be able to keep up with them because we are all connected, and one break in that security chain, and it's all over. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection is adding the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. If you have a problem, they work to fix it. Call 800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK. Get an additional 10%. 1-800-LIFELOCK or lifelock.com. Promo code BECK. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Talking about the movie Little Pink House about Suzette Kilo. So I'm looking at the credits at the end of the movie, and do we have the still here for this? This this threw me for a loop. Uh, if you look about two-thirds of the way down in here, Frederick Condentrat, Glenn Beck, is in the what? movie. And I'm like, was Glenn in the movie? No. Was he cut? Because we were certainly talking about this. Would you, If you were portrayed uh, in the movie, it wouldn't have been a huge shock to me because we were talking about the story at the time. No. The, guy, the actor who's playing Frederick Corlandi is named Glenn Beck. Totally different person. Same spelling. Same name. Or is it <gasps> a totally different person? <laughs> Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. From the Comey Memos. The president brought up the golden showers thing, and it really bothered him. If his wife had any doubt about it, he then pivoted to the Russians wanting an apology from Bill O'Reilly. I said I had seen that in Bill O'Reilly's reply, which was to call him in 2023. The president then said O'Reilly's question about whether he respected Putin had been a hard one. Redacted sentence. He said he does respect the leader of a major country, and he thought that that was the best answer. He then said, you think my answer was good, right? I said the answer was fine, except the part about killers, because we aren't the kind of killers that Putin is. When I said this, the president paused noticeably. I don't know what to make of it, but he clearly noticed I had directly criticized him. Bill O'Reilly, welcome to the program. How do you respond? I'm still causing trouble after all this time. Back. I know, I know. Um, I think that my question was a good one, a penetrating question Mm -hmm. to the newly uh, elected president of the United States that, you know, how are you going to deal with this uh, dictator in Russia? Because the guy is a ruthless killer. And the answer came back that, well, we're not, our country's not all that clean as well. Um, You know, my job is to ask the hardest questions I can ask. I did that. Uh, the answer, I think, was a dodge. You know, he didn't answer the question. I mean, right. are you going to deal with the right. killer or are you not going to deal with the killer? What do you think has uh, been redacted here, Bill? Well, I don't know what Trump told Comey about Putin, but it would have to be something about Putin okay. to redact it. So that he might have said something about Putin 
that could hurt national security at this point. So that that is my guess on what would be redacted. Is there anything, Bill, is it weird to know that the president of the United States behind closed doors talking to the FBI director is whining about your questions? I wouldn't say whining is a fair uh, characterization of that, Stu. Uh, that interview was... <laughs> what would you characterize it at? He's saying I he wanted an apology he from you. He that wanted he an concerned. apology for a, for a normal question about world relations? That's not whining. You wouldn't describe if Barack Obama was whining about something like that? You wouldn't describe no, it that I'd way? Say, I'd say it was. he was concerned about it because the interview got international play. Yeah, he and said that, you'll remember that Putin was demanding an apology from me. And I just said, yeah, yeah. I'll give you one in <laughs> eight years. I'll think it over. Yeah. Um, so it was a big deal because it rankled Putin. And so he was concerned. Yeah. And he did say he said O'Reilly's question about whether he respected Putin had been a hard one. He's not saying I want an apology. He's saying Putin now wants an apology. Yeah. And that was a hard question to answer. I I, you know, I tried to, I respect him as a world leader, right? And his, and Comey was like, well, yes, but, you know, the killer part was a little disturbing. Right, but remember something here, that James Comey is not your correspondent of objectivity. (laughs) All right? When he writes these memos, he's writing them to CYA cover his butt the initials don't really you know but that's why he's doing it cyb yeah yeah he's not doing it to relate to the american people here's exactly what happened i i'm 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 a little um uh you know for a guy who has always takes copious notes you know contemporaneous uh, contemporaneous notes uh and uh, he always documents meetings I'm amazed that he doesn't have anything on Loretta Lynch, on Hillary Clinton. It's just Donald Trump. I don't know what kind of memos that Comey has or has not. I mean, Congress asked him for the memos with Trump, so he may have other uh, musings about about Lynch and, and Hillary Clinton. But I think that it's important for your listeners and for the American public to understand that even if you're the head of the FBI or if you're the head of the CIA, the primary thing in your mind is protecting yourself from anything. That's what they do. That's how they get to these positions. Mm -hmm. All right? They're not Elliot Ness. It's not uh, the crime busters. These are bureaucrats. These are people who are saying, well, Maybe down the line, somebody's going to do this, so I'll cover my butt now and say this and write this. That's what they do. So to take it as gospel is ridiculous. That's his interpretation. I'm sure if you had Trump in the room, he'd say, no, 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 this is what I meant. This is what I said. This is what I did. So, Bill, you've you've lived a little longer than I have, maybe 100 years or so. And um, uh, so you'll have a better memory of this than I will. But I was thinking today... I don't even think that uh, J. Edgar Hoover was was doing this kind of stuff, at least out in the open. He was not taking things and leaking. The FBI and the Justice Department is clearly leaking uh, things that I don't even think JF, uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover did this, did he? Well, Comey admits it. In the memo. Right, I know. Because Trump, Trump asked him, you know, the FBI leaking, and he told me it was, of course. But, you know, you're right in the sense that 
it's totally out of control now. There weren't nearly as many leaks with Obama. And the leaks are designed to hurt one guy, President Trump. And that's, that's there's a torrent of these leaks. They're coming from everywhere. And nobody really seems to care. But in the J. Edgar Hoover thing, the way he covered his butt was to get stuff and hold on it. the presidents. Correct. To get dirt on JFK, Lyndon Johnson, Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Um, he might even have some on Eisenhower. Yeah. All right. So that's how he did it. He blackmailed them. And then he let them know, look, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, Mr. President, I hate to tell you, but, you know, we picked up on a wiretap that you got a girlfriend in Chicago that goes out with Sam Giacana. Gee, wow. I'll never tell anybody, but uh, be careful what you say. Right. That's it, exactly what Hoover did. Right. But but at least it was compartmentalized. I'm not saying that it's good, no, I, but right. at least it was at least we. Yeah. At least we didn't have, um, you know, golden showers known by everybody. Yeah. The press never would have printed it back then. You know, I made a I made a point that I think you'll enjoy and Stu will really enjoy it. I know. <laughs> Thank you. The Sean Hannity stuff, okay, that, oh, Hannity, he's friends with Trump. Oh, look look at this. And, and it's coming out of the Washington Post. Well, who was JFK's best pal in Washington? Uh, ben, Bradley. ben Bradley. Yeah. Ben Bradley. Yeah. Who and was Ronald Reagan's best pal in Washington? How about... George Will. How about George Stephanopoulos? How about... How about, uh, 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 what's his name at uh, CBS, whose brother was in the Obama White House? Sure. Um, you know who I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But, but the, the outrage on the part of the Washington Post that Hannity is talking to President Trump and has influence. And then I'm going... You, you go into that building and you can't get it. You, everywhere you look, there's Ben Bradley. Bradley's out on JFK's yacht. JFK's calling him every hour on the hour for advice. And it's funny because on the in the movie, uh, the post. Did you see it, Bill? No, I refuse. Oh no, it's actually really good. But in yeah, the but Meryl Streep is in it. I yes, know, I know, I know. I'm with you on that, uh, one, Bill. but uh, right. but for different reasons. Yeah, I think she sucks. <laughs> so so um, uh, in the movie. The Ben Bradley character even comes to that conclusion, saying, "I've I was used. I I, I was used. I mean, yeah, like he even didn't know it. Sure, even but a he, Meryl Streep movie, the characters come to the conclusion. Wow, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, but the American people don't know it, and and this is what I mean. You you we are we're living in such a dishonest age." It's so, from top to bottom, you know, where, where are the truth tellers? Where are the people looking out for the folks? Where are they? They've seemed to disappeared off the planet now. So what do you the, th- FBI, the FBI raids a lawyer's office and then within three hours calls the press about some guy out in L.A. who has nothing to do with uh, the Trump investigation and ruins his life. That, that's exactly what happened. I mean, what kind of people are these? And a judge, they don't, judges don't care. Well, the they judges, the judge, I'm trying to remember what the deal is with the judge, but I, I made a note someplace on the judge. This judge is, um, oh, man. Kimba Wood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what was her connection? Uh, 
to the Clintons because she was named. Oh, she was. Yeah. She married. She was almost that's right. Attorney General. Yeah. yeah, but she was. She was. Uh, she's but she a, had hired an illegal alien nanny. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. She was the illegal alien nanny uh, lady. Right. Uh, the right. second one. Second one. Yeah. And she also uh, was the was the judge that married George Soros. Yeah, which I you know this is just fun to throw in there. Um, yeah, I mean, but you you know you just step back, and I want every listener that's hearing us now to step back. So you're sitting there, you're a judge, and you have the power to uh, take all of this stuff and put it in camera, all right, which means that the, the press doesn't see it, you see it, so you can make responsible decisions, all right? But you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let everything that the FBI picked up get out to the press, and I don't really care what lives are ruined or, or yeah. who... Uh, is is humiliated, uh, even though I don't have anything to do with the Trump investigation. I don't let everything out there. I mean, come on. Okay, and that's the age that we live in. When we come back, we're going to talk to Bill about uh, his friend Rudy Giuliani, who is now being uh, hired by Trump. We'll get the uh, wrap up comments on uh, anything else that he has to say about the Comey memo that we have to take away, and a really good op ed that he has just published called The Stalinists Are Here, and I think that ties right directly into Starbucks, which we will cover with him as well when we come back. The idea of falling into bed is, man, is so great. You know how when you you have a a bad mattress, going to bed can be like, I don't even know why I'm going to bed because I'm not going to sleep. And you, you almost start to get angry at the thought of going to bed because you know you're going to toss and turn and you're not going to sleep. With a Casper mattress, you will get up and say to yourself, I cannot wait to come home to go to sleep. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's how empty my life has become. But you just can't wait to get back to bed because you'll have a great night's sleep. Casper has created three unique mattresses that are going to help you sleep cool and comfortable year-round. The Wave Mattress, remarkable technology that has been engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. The Casper Mattress, more breathable and comfortable than ever, loved by nearly a million happy customers now. And the greatest thing is the price point. All Casper mattresses are designed with zone support to coddle and comfort your every move. They provide the perfect support in every position you might sleep in. And you will see how inexpensive this mattress is. See for yourself why Casper has hundreds of thousands of happy customers just like me. Try it in your own home for 100 nights Risk-free, free shipping, free returns. Go to Casper.com. Use the promo code BECK and save $50 off the purchase of your select mattress. That is Casper.com. Promo code BECK. Terms and conditions do apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Ben Shapiro joins us in this hour on Monday. Jonah Goldberg, his new book, Suicide of the West, comes out Tuesday. One of his first interviews is on this program on Tuesday. And Suzette Kilo, the woman who the Kilo case is named after on Eminent Domain. There's a new movie out uh, called Little Pink House, littlepinkhousemovie.com. You can find out all about it that talks about Eminent Domain and and reenacts the Kilo case. It's a fascinating movie. 
She's going to be joining us on Friday. And uh, also, next Friday, Bill O'Reilly, who's with us every Friday. Hello, Bill. Back. I'm back. And, and America has just been waiting. Um, so now, <laughs> so now, tell me about Rudy Giuliani and the hire that Donald Trump made there. What do you, what do you think that says? Well, I think that the uh, overall strategy on the part of the White House now is to put pressure on Mueller to stop the investigation. Okay, so that you got to start there. So Giuliani knows Mueller and he knows uh, a lot of the players and he brought in two people with him who are former U.S. attorneys as he is. And I think that they're going to go in and say, all right, we need a uh, exit date. You've got to, you know, tell us how long this is going to happen. And if you don't, we're going to go on a tremendous PR blitz to destroy your credibility. And, you know, Giuliani can do that. He's a hard guy. He's a tough guy. And I think that's what this is. All is that about. the right thing for Trump? It is because you just can't govern the way that this uh, is unfolding. Look, on BillOReilly.com, what we've been able to do is to tell our uh, listeners and our viewers on the website the damage that they are experiencing, that the regular American citizen is experiencing because of all the chaos surrounding the attacks on Trump, whether it be by the media or by the special prosecutor. So Americans themselves are being hurt, and that is what should be marketed here. I I will tell you that, um, you know, if you look at what the average America is concerned about, you you do not see that reflected on cable news. Um, This, all all of this, their numbers, uh, their ratings are declining and declining in a very dramatic way. Yeah. And, and if you look at the new polling, Mueller's unfavorable rating is going up. And uh, that's what Giuliani is going to be tasked to do to negotiate an end to this. Let me let me say let me change subjects. MS uh, MS thirteen horrible horrible gang um, has infiltrated America. There's now I think ninety five hundred members. Extraordinarily violent. The uh, the New York chapter of MS thirteen has just come out and said. Um, you know, we're we're getting too much pushback here. Maybe it's time we start killing politicians like we do in El Salvador. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just bluster. I, I covered the war in El Salvador back in 82. Um, and uh, that's a totally chaotic, violent society over there. Not anybody uh, in control of that country. So the poor people, the poor men join gangs, and uh, MS-13 is the most powerful gang. So they say, well, we, there's not really a lot of money in El Salvador, so where should we go to make money? And it's like, okay, we have open borders in the USA, let's go here. And you think I'm exaggerating? I'm not. How did these people even get here? They're not, they didn't get here by getting a visa in <laughs> San Salvador. All right? Right. Yeah, just walk through the border right. like everybody else does. But For you uh, liberal open border people out there. So they take up camp here in uh, Long Island, where I live, because it's close to New York City. And, you know, their, their comrades can fly into JFK and uh, do their deals and sell their narcotics and shake down the Hispanic community, which is what they do. Um, and they establish 
themselves as the most violent, ruthless gang on Long Island. Um, and so what are they, you know, Trump is pointing them out. The feds are going to try to destroy them. The feds will destroy them. That will happen. So now you're getting a little bluster from MS-13. So if you look at the violence, though, that's happening across the border on our southern border in Mexico, um, they are killing mayors. They're, they are. Yeah, they kill everybody yeah. because it's the same thing in Mexico as it is in El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala and uh, Nicaragua. So what There's is no central authority? So what is what's going to turn the tide here, Bill? For instance, half of Californians, half yeah. support the travel ban and increased deportations. Half of right, California. Right, right. But and that's why there's a civil war in California. San Diego County voted this week to support the lawsuit against uh, Jerry Brown and the Sacramento crazies. Um, that's the second largest county in California. So there is a civil war in that state, but you'd never know it if you, if you listen to the media, because the people in Fresno and Bakersfield and up in Northern California, they don't have a voice in the media. They don't get a say. Let me, let me change, um, topics, uh, kind of, you wrote a great op-ed, um, that we're going to get into when we when we come back about the Stalinists are here, and you are seeing this everywhere uh, where you are being uh, shouted down and silenced. You're just talking about the uh, the you know the half of Californians that don't have a voice. Um, what happened at Starbucks is remarkable to me, and I'd like to get your uh, opinion on that. Uh, well, the the column is posted on BillOReilly.com. We want everybody to read it if possible because it is an important column. On Starbucks, you had a, a store manager who made a mistake. All right, the mistake was a couple of black guys sitting in Philadelphia Starbucks, mm-hmm. and they weren't buying anything. Okay, hang on, hang on. All right, I want to start back with your premise of this was a mistake on the part of the manager. Uh, when we come back. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck program. So Bill started talking about Starbucks uh, before the break, and he he said it was a mistake on the manager to call the police. And I I I think that was their policy to do that. And I, Bill, I want to get your opinion on, um, you know, there's there is a unspoken social contract. You you really see it if you live in New York for any period of time. You'll really begin to understand it because there are millions of people on the streets every day. And the sidewalks are large and they're packed everywhere. And people don't speak English. People may have just gotten off a plane from China. They, they don't have the same uh, rules. They don't, they don't know our culture. And yet the city works. The, the, when there's a red light, generally people stop. When there's a red you know, walking person there, you generally don't cross the street. And it's this unspoken, I'm not going to express myself differently in the middle of the road because I'll get hit by a cab. In, in, in today's America, there are no consequences 
to break the social contract. Somebody walks in. It's not unusual for a business to say the bathrooms are for paying customers. And if you really need to use the bathroom in a place like Starbucks, you say, uh, okay, can just, I'll have a cup of coffee. I'll, I'll have a small. I'll have, I'll have a, could I just get a, you know, a dollar's worth of that cookie, please? That's the social contract. These people broke it. They sat there. This is a no loitering kind of thing. The police come. They, the police tell them to leave three times, and they tell the police no. These are not. These are people with an agenda. Well, sure. And, and if you look at what's happened in San Francisco, where nothing is enforced, and the whole city is collapsing, and the uh, director of the tourism agency there had to go public and say, we're not going to be able to get anybody to come here anymore because so many homeless people are out of control and nobody's doing anything about it. That's the collapse of the social contract. Correct. But I don't know if the manager of a Starbucks in Philadelphia, looking at two guys, two black guys sitting there. Now, the guys weren't doing anything um, to disturb other customers. They were just taking up space. They obviously were there um, for other reasons than drinking coffee. Now, they asked them politely if you know to buy something or leave. They wouldn't. The police came in, asked them, as you pointed out, they wouldn't leave. They felt entitled to sit there. So then the decision has to be made in America. Do you force them to leave, thereby creating a giant, giant outrage of uh, victimization? Or do you just allow them to do what they're doing because they're not um, harming your business at that point? So, I mean, I feel bad for the for the all the managers that have to make that decision, but if you decide to evict a minority who's not doing anything causing a disturbance, you're going to get it. The press is going to kill you, and the victimization industry is going to kill you, and that's exactly what happened. This coming, this coming, this is amazing because this is this is um, this is what has happened to all of us with political correctness. We just said, oh, you know what. Uh, don't say anything. It's just better to move on. You know, don't say anything about, you know, the bashing of Christians or anything because it's just better to move on. Don't want to make a big deal out of it. And when do we learn our lesson on that? You can't learn your lesson because the big money is behind the grievance industry. So it's not a level playing field. I don't know whether you follow politics in Europe, but Hungary is making laws against George Soros. Yes, I know. Okay. Why? Because Soros is undermining the Hungarian society, uh-huh. doing the same thing he did here, uh-huh. or he's doing here, pumping tens of millions of dollars into organizations like Media Matters that are designed to tear down the fabric the traditional fabric of America in the end in Hungary. So the strong-armed leader in Hungary, so we're going to pass a law against Soros, we're going to get him out of here. Now, you couldn't do that here because the media is sympathetic to Soros here, where in Hungary they're not. That's the difference. Yep. So the, the, the amount of money, that is going into organizations, grievance organizations, tear down America organizations, Stalinist organizations. People think I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Read the column. 
I back up every word I say. Bernie Goldberg coined the term uh, Stalinist, by the way, and that's exactly what these people are. If you disagree with them, they're going to destroy you. So here's but here's the, here's the thing, Bill. Are you following? Are you following the latest attack on the Second Amendment? Which I I don't hear anybody talking about this, and this is the way they will take it apart. A, a city group came out a couple of weeks ago and said they are no longer going to uh, do offer any banking services to any company that manufactures or sells. Uh, firearms with uh, high capacity magazines, certain kinds of guns, uh, or any gun uh, sale for anyone under 21. So they're cutting off all financial services. A week later, Bank of America comes out and says the same thing. In fact, they're not going to make any loans or offer any banking services to any gun manufacturer at all, period. And then this week, David Hogg comes out with a whole list of people uh, or funds, Wall Street funds, that invest in gun manufacturers. They are going to try to squeeze the gun manufacturers and the gun sales points of sale by choking off all of their banking services and all of their investors. And I'm sure the 17-year-old David Hogg came up with this on his own. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. (laughs) Um, Sure. That's the attack. The attack is that we'll break the industry. Um, But here's a a more accessible attack. And by the way, Tim Cook, the uh, uh, CEO of Apple, they threatened him because they wanted to bring uh, for him to pull off NRA TV from his streaming service. Cook said no. Cook defied them. He, he actually said, and this is in your article, and I love this quote, democracy without discourse is not a democracy. Right. Okay, let me give you more accessible than the uh, behind-the-scenes gun financing. Fox News Channel is right on the cliff. And thereafter, they started with me a year ago, and now they thought they had Hannity um, last year. He, he fought back. He survived. They got Ingram. Now they're after Hannity again. Okay? And this is the same thing. Attack the sponsors of the Fox News channel. Make it impossible for the channel to generate income, generate revenue. Mm -hmm. All right? And it'll go off the air, or they'll water it down, which they already have. It's already getting watered down like crazy. Okay? So these techniques, Stalin just shot you in the head, mm-hmm. all right? But what Soros and the far left is doing is they're choking you economically. And who's going to do anything about it? Everybody's afraid of them. Everybody is afraid of them, including the judges and the courts. And that's what we have coming. And they'll just, they'll just knock them down one by one, Beck. I had one, uh, one. you're going to knock him out. We had uh, Edwin Black on. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was the author of uh, IBM and the Holocaust years ago. Really well-researched man. Um, and he has been ringing the bell lately for something that he calls um, uh, algorithmic ghettos. And he says that, you know, uh, during World War II, 
Germany would just put the the Jews behind giant walls that nobody could see. And what happened behind those walls in those ghettos? You just didn't you didn't see no matter how loud they cried. You couldn't hear them. You couldn't see them. And so out of sight, out of mind, there is no Jewish problem. Um, And he says there is an algorithmic ghetto that is now being uh, used to silence voices like yours, like mine, uh, you know, anybody who stands against Planned Parenthood, et cetera, et cetera. Ted, Ted Cruz talked about this with Facebook, um, and he is very concerned that these voices are going to be, you know, the people who uh, who are the tree in the forest that falls, but nobody's around. We can scream, we can shout, we can say everything. We think we're getting the message out, but because of the algorithm, they have put us in a ghetto with walls around us that nobody's hearing the message. I don't think it's that bad yet. No, he, he's saying it's, there. Yeah, he's saying that we're on that road. He's not on saying we're road. there yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, we still have um, uh, we still have availabilities, but they're shrinking. Yeah. And um, but the legal system, journalism shot not coming back ever. All right. The legal system really is concerning me now. Because it doesn't seem to be any constraints. Contracts don't matter. Threats don't matter. Boycotts don't matter. Just destroy, destroy, destroy. And there's nobody there to say, hold it. This is not what a free society allows. What we we have to do, Bill, is stop um, admiring the problems and I think start teaching the Bill of Rights. Because the Bill of Rights are common sense, and they, they are the things that have always united us. And the problems with our country all stem from the violation of the, the, of the Bill of Rights. Everything or the that is, undermining of the whole concept of yes, the Bill of Rights. Correct, correct. George Soros doesn't want the Bill of Rights. The correct. far left doesn't want it. They want totalitarianism. Funny you brought that up. On Saturday night, Beck, I'm going to be in D.C., giving the keynote address for an organization called FLAG, F-L-A-G. This is a brand-new organization that is doing exactly what you said, educating younger Americans on what the Bill of Rights says, what the Constitution says. Excellent. And I'm doing it gratis, and people, if you're in the D.C. area or whatever, it's going to be at the the Trump Hotel. Go to BillOReilly.com. We got the information there. But you're right. It, it, these are, you have to start to bring this to the attention of the masses of people. You may have to sing about it on American Idol to get their attention. I may have to write songs back about it. Oof, oof. Uh, boy, you want to talk about destruction of everything we hold dear. That, that would be it. Um, Bill O'Reilly from BillOReilly.com. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week, brother. Okay, thank you. All right, bye. Bill O'Reilly. BillOReilly.com is the place to go to get all of Bill's analysis. By the way, uh, I think on Monday we're going to talk about uh, this new polling that's out regarding uh, the difference between how much people consider guns to be a problem. Oh my gosh, and this is so good. how much people believe illegal immigration to be a problem. You've seen it, the it, news coverage. Which one, if you to reflect from the news coverage, which one do you think people are more concerned yeah. with? On Monday, we're going to go through this poll. It's remarkable. It's rem- you look at what people are concerned about and then what they're showing us on television and what they're talking about in Washington. They're not aligned at all, which is causing this massive disconnect between the people 
the government and the press. That's on Monday. Also on Monday at this time, uh, I believe Ben Shapiro is joining us. All right. Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there's a smarter way. There has to be. So they came up with smart technology to help you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, then goes out and identifies the right experience and invites those people to apply for your job. These invitations are what really revolutionize how you're going to find your next hire with ZipRecruiter. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications that you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidate is there. The right candidate might not go to that, you know, one of the 100 websites that you have posted on. ZipRecruiter will find them. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. And try it for free. Post your job for free on ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So we have Brad Meltzer coming up in a few minutes. Good friend of ours. Uh, great writer. Little did we know, really close personal friend with Barbara Bush. I knew they knew each other, but I had no idea that they were they were pen pals for years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I am interested to hear what he has to say today. As we remember Barbara Bush, Brad Meltzer joins us in just a few minutes. Also, I have a uh, Glenn Beck prediction update. Oh, uh, boy. I think it's a it's as is as concrete of an update on one of your predictions uh, that maybe we've seen in a long time. Really? Because, I mean, there's been hints that this is that one of these predictions of yours was coming true but this one i don't know like oh i can't I, wait i think this is the front page of your case really i think it is oh i can't wait especially who's coming from interesting I, hmm. I have absolutely no idea i'll tell you who it's coming from the new york times so again a now first of all glenn, the new york times is running a podcast now yeah called the caliphate called the caliphate these are, uh, which is completely amazing to me. They are at the thing that they mocked you for at the time for saying they are now embracing and running a for profit enterprise. Yeah. On how, <laughs> on how, how it all happened. I wrote something somewhere about the New York Times. That's impossible. You're running a podcast about a caliphate. That's the ramblings of a madman. <laughs> that has to be super frustrating. <laughs> oh for you. my gosh! And that's why I like it so much. Um, but also, in addition to that, this is another one uh, that you've been long—a big one. I yeah, I think a oh, really wow. big one. Okay, we'll get to that coming up in just a second. Also, uh, tribute to uh, Barbara Bush as um, as they get ready to lay her to rest from Brad Meltzer. Coming up next. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. 
Glenn Beck. Stop what you're doing. Pull up a chair. Even if you're in your car, pull up a chair. Put it in the seat and sit on that chair for a minute because this is important. Time Magazine has just come out with their list of the 100 most influential people on the planet. It's finally out. Now, you remember, I am one of the most influential people. I've been in the Time Magazine, so I can speak from a position of authority on how important that honor really is. So what... Hmm? what? It's uh, important? That wasn't <laughs> oh, the my... adjective I was expecting. Oh, no. It... Oh, no. Don't mock this. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what lucky 100 humans... Has time anointed as head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to influence? Well, time has divided their list into categories like pioneers. Pioneers. You know, you immediately, when I say pioneer, you immediately think of David Hogg. Okay. And the rest of the Parkland Five. Uh, that was, uh, I mean, and the, and the essay, believe it or not, was written by Dana Lash. I, I don't believe it. Okay, you shouldn't believe it. Believe it, it. it was, I don't I said, believe it. I'm going to take you, a nod. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. You win. Written by Barack Obama. Wow. Under the artists category is Jimmy Kimmel with his tribute written by Senator Dick Durbin. That's not a joke. Durbin writes about Kimmel. Night after night, he sparred with the politicians who tried to take health insurance from millions of Americans. Oh, I know, those darn Republicans always hoping to see Americans die in the street from no health insurance. Oh, I can't wait to get back to those good old days where people were dying of cancer on the sidewalk. Do you remember that, Stu? Oh, God, piles of them on the way to work. I'd step over them every day. They would be, be booted out of the hospitals just to make sure that those with insurance... Could see a doctor right away if you went into the emergency room. There was no wait in those days. I mean, if any hospital did that one time, they'd be breaking the law. But let's ignore that. Sure. Let's ignore Among that. those in the leaders category, we have Justin Trudeau, naturally, Kim Jong-un. Why not? And Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi's tribute is, uh, well, it's written by the president of uh, Planned Parenthood. So if you're making a... Uh, if, if you're... <laughs> If you're making a list of the top influencers in killing unborn Americans, uh, Pelosi and Richards would probably make the top 10. And with Pelosi using your faith to justify, it makes you kind of shoot to the top of that list. Now, under icons, there is Adam Rippon. Because nothing says icon like finishing 10th in your event at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> just, yeah, so he was the skater? Yeah, he was yeah. a skater. Uh, okay. Very important. Very important. He's an icon. Also under icons, Maxine Waters. Because I actually have no idea how they came up with that one. Sorry. Um, now, these are not the most influential people on the planet time. I'm sorry. They may be the loudest. They may be the most famous at the time. They may be the most popular at the time. I speak. Uh, I'm going back to the 2010. Uh, I speak from a position <laughs> of knowing. <laughs> I'm sure there's some really great people on the list. And even some people who have the power to affect our lives through technology or government policy. But they can never have the kind of deep, genuine, lasting influence that real people have on their own families, on their own children, on their own friends, and their own community. How time 
every year, especially in 2010, overlook the people (laughs) risking their lives to save others around the world is beyond me. This is why I mock the 100 most influential people as alumni, because the real influencers are more often the ones that we don't hear about. Hardworking people like you, trying your best, serving your neighbors, doing secretly amazing things for people in their life. And honestly, if this truly is a list of the 100 most influential people, then honestly, America, we are far too easily influenced. It's Friday, April 20th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. The author of The Escape Artist, one of my favorite books of the year, Brad Meltzer, is uh, joining us now. He's on his way to Barbara Bush's funeral, uh, which is happening tomorrow. Uh, uh, Brad, I had no idea you were close personal friends with Barbara. Um, She is... Uh, someone I know it sounds it is one of the most unlikely friendships I've ever had and uh, it's simply because we have this one thing in common which we you and I share as well which is we don't care where you're from we don't care what your title is we don't care where you went to school and we don't care how much money you make Uh, the currency is do you have something interesting to say and that is what I always appreciated about her. You know, she lives yeah. in a world of complete fanciness and amazingness, right? A dynasty. But would talk to me as quick as she would talk to the janitor, as quick as she would talk to the Queen of England. And that's what I appreciate about anyone. It's just that grounding and that sense of humor that's so sharp. And, uh, and that's what we, you know, we always hit it off. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. I was, we just had um, Bob Goff in studio, uh, who's a remarkable man. Uh, and... Very few people come into the studios and pay attention to anybody but me. Even sometimes they just kind of dismiss Stu. But most people uh, always dismiss. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, I'd hate to bring it to you. Um, But they always dismiss the crew and the makeup people and the lighting people, all the people behind the scenes. You can always tell somebody's character when they when they walk into a room and they say hello and what's your name and actually have some bit of dialogue with the people who have no influence uh, that can help them at all. And oh, that's rare. And one thing. Right. I agree. I, I teach my children one thing. I, if you're nice to me and you're a jerk to the waiter, you're a jerk. Yep. And and Barbara Bush, I think, was always that person. I think that's why people like, you know, and the amazing part of, you know, I remember the, the first time I met the Bushes, they had read one of my thrillers and uh, President Bush had written to me about it. And I went to meet I remember that. Bushes in Houston for a literacy event. And he spent the first 10 minutes of our time together trying to convince my wife that he invented the phrase you to man. <laughs> my wife is, you know, it's a great joke, right? It's yeah. <laughs> and my wife is like, Brad, did you know that President Bush invented the phrase you the man? And, and I'm like, and Barbara Bush comes over. She's like, no, he didn't. He's lying to you. That is and so funny. He just totally took him down. And it was just so great. And, and I, again, I was completely intimidated the first time I met her because she, she, her strength is clear. I, I believe to this day, the only reason the Bushes got two 
people in the White House is because of Barbara Bush. I agree. It wasn't dad. It was mom. It I was, agree. And she knew that. And, and the other thing that I always appreciated beyond her sense of humor is that every time I saw her, she didn't ask me about the famous place I went or the famous person I met or what is it like to go to, you know, wherever it was I was going. She always asked me about my mom. She remembered that my mom, when my mom was dying, I took her to meet Barbara Bush. Hmm. And my mom was sick at this point. I knew it was the end. And I took her to meet Mrs. Bush and President Bush. Of course, treated, they treated her like royalty. But she always said, I remember how your mom sold books for you at the start of your career. And the last time I was with her, she's 90 years old at this point. I was at her 90th birthday. And they, she invited four authors to entertain. And I remember going, wow, who are you going to get? And she was like, dummy, it's you. And I said, okay. And even then at 90, a decade later, we're still going, you know, that story you told about your mom 15 years ago, I still think about it. Hmm. And I love that she always understood the power of a strong mother. Were you, you were pen pals with her? Yeah. You know, so, um, I, you know, I don't want to overstate it. We used to write back and forth. These re- she just was a great, you know, she didn't email. So she would write letters, handwritten letters. And so when we started doing the I Am series, the kids book series, we started with I'm Amelia Earhart and I'm Abraham Lincoln. And I get a letter in the mail that tells me she's, you know, she, she was, had read the books and really enjoyed the books. But she told me this whole story in this letter about how she almost met Amelia Earhart. She was actually mm. felt like, oh, my gosh, I can't go over to her and tell this incredible story. And then in the P.S. of the letter, she writes, and by the way, I hadn't met Abraham Lincoln, although I kind of feel as old. That's and funny. I wrote her back, and I, and I said, you know, that's very funny, but we all know you met George Washington and Martha Washington. Uh. <laughs> and, she, you know, she would write back an even funnier joke. Like, and then we would just kind of go back and forth. And every time, it wasn't, you know, letter writing is an art form. Yeah, it is. And it's a communication, right, that is lost these days. And she would, her biting sense of humor would come through in every letter. You'd be like, this is, this is funny. This isn't some bit that some staffer writes. This isn't some, you know, like kind of press thing where you have, you know, good Saturday Night Live writers writing for the president. You're like, oh, he's got a sense of humor. No, he knows how to read. That's what he can do. Um, this is truly an incredibly biting personality. And, and I think the most important thing is, and I, I feel like you understand this as well as anybody I've ever met. This is why our friendship, you know, all these years is who you, your character is, who you are behind closed doors when no one's looking. And what I love is, you know, you see a lot of first ladies who take on a cause. And then the moment they're out of the White House, the cause is done. Right. And you're like, was that their cause or was that something to do for four or eight years? And I just appreciate that Barbara Bush spent after the White House, you know, 40, 50 more years working for literacy. And she wasn't helping, you know, she was helping poor people. She was helping people from other countries, from who are immigrants here, who were new and couldn't read. She was trying to give people that leg up because she knew that if you do that, you give them the most powerful weapons in the universe, books and ideas. And I, again, I have to, you know, over and over, year after year, until she, when she turned 90, she could have had a big 90th birthday party and been on, you know, the Today mm-hmm. Show and everyone would have made mm-hmm. a big deal. She said, nope, I want to take my birthday. I want to invite the wealthiest people in the world, and they're all going to give their money all to literacy. And that's what I'm going to do my 90th birthday. I was standing next to her when she blew out the candles. And I remember thinking, this is your birthday party, and you're giving it all to literacy at 90. At 90, you go, you know what, if I'm 90, God bless, I get there. I'm going to, I want to relax. But I love that this woman said, nope, I'm still going to use it to help and, and fight for other people. That was incredible to me.
So, Brad, can I ask you a favor? You're going to the funeral tomorrow. Yes, sir. Um, please pass on our condolences uh, to the family. I, 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 I think that um, I agree with you that without Barbara Bush, I don't know if there would have been even one President Bush. Um, she was uh, she was the one. And I, I think the Bushes are honorable people as it is. But I, I have nothing to back this up just in meeting Barbara Bush a couple of times. I don't I didn't have a relationship like you did. Um, but I think she was the one that um, that taught those boys, hey, hold your tongue. You don't have something nice to say. Don't say anything. Support yeah. even the people who are you are uh, who are saying bad things about you. You know, just don't climb down into the gutter with them and they have always done that and i think they've done a great service to their to their mother she had to be extraordinarily proud of just that forget about all the accomplishments just that is rare and i think it came from her yeah no i listen i think there are people i've met every president from from bush 41 to our current president i've met them all i've had interactions with them all um some bigger some smaller there are people, and, and again, that, that wasn't meant to be like a, 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 a brag. It was, there are people that you meet, and I usually don't like politicians, right? They're always mm-hmm. selling something. But there are those you meet that are inherently decent. There are people you meet in the world that you meet them and you go, they are inherently decent. And to me, Barbara Bush and George Bush, I think, are inherently decent people. Try, and, and you know how you know it? And I'll tell you my secret for how I know it is you ask the Secret Service. When yes. you talk to the secret yes. service agents who have guarded them, <laughs> yep. the one thing that comes across, it will tell you immediately who's a jerk off and who's good. Because they're the waiters, right? If you're nice to me and you're a jerk to the waiter, you're a jerk. Everyone loves those two bushes. Everyone who ever served with them, everyone who's guarding them now, they are, they, you know, and they'll tell you. They ask about my grandkids. They ask about my, my nieces and nephew. They know my, my son is sick. They, they will tell you details about their own families uh, the Bush is asking about them, and, and that's inherently decent. And that's how you're supposed to be. And that's how you raise, um, you know, your kids. I'm not talking about being president. That's how we should all be raising our kids, mm-hmm. right, is, is fighting to make sure that they remember who they are, where they come from, and never to take ourselves so seriously. Uh, and when we do mess up, which we inevitably will do, we're all human, that you learn how to be big enough to actually apologize, and say, you know what? I was wrong in that moment. My anger got the best of me. My ego got the best of me. Whatever it might be, um, that is how you raise and 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 get to be inherently decent. Brad Meltzer, thanks for sharing your thoughts on on Barbara Bush. All right. If you're going to sell your home, if you're going to buy a new home, you need to find the real estate agent that knows the market, knows the neighborhoods. Uh, knows, uh, you know, um, how to sell things, can tell you when you're walking into a strange city, hey, you don't want to live here, you want to live here, this isn't exactly right, wait for a little longer, you know, those kinds of things. You need the agent with the track record and the knowledge that's going to sell your home or help you buy the right home at the right price. 1,000 agents all over America that are just like you. They're fans of the show. They share your sensibilities. Our agents have been fully vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, their track record. They 
I, I think they they live the kind of life that Brad and I were just talking about. They are really good people. But what's equally as important, do they get the job done? Realestateagentsitrust.com has already helped families moving to another area, families who are taking care of their parents remotely, helping their families get the most for you know their home as quickly as possible. You're buying, you're selling, whatever it is, we have the right real estate agent that will get the job done quickly, efficiently, and for the most amount of money in your pocket. Realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Join Glenn, Stu, Pat Gray, Doc Thompson, and Sarah Gonzalez weeknights at 5.30 Eastern on the news and why it matters. Tweet us your questions using the hashtag TheBlazeY and tune into the show to hear the answers at TheBlaze.com slash TV. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Welcome back to the program. It is Friday. We've got a great week uh, planned for you. I'm going to be out in California next week. Um, we have Jonah Goldberg uh, going to be joining us. Suzette Kilo from uh, the Kilo case in the Supreme Court. That you know, I'm, I'm making a list of all of the people that have been firsthand witnesses to history that I could talk to now. You know what I mean? Let me, I'd love to interview these people and say, okay, what was that like? Um, and she's, you know, I just saw the movie uh, Little Pink House, um, which you can find at littlepinkhousemovie.com. Uh, Comes out today, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's the story of the Kilo case. And one of the actresses is, you know, Oscar nominated. Yeah, she was the, you remember her from... Well, I consider her best role to be, of course, the forty-year-old, forty-year-old uh, virgin. Um, she was in that. Uh, she was the Steve Carell love interest in that yeah. movie. But she also was Oscar, uh, nominated for two Oscars, Capote and one other one. Uh, but she's been. I mean, she's a. You know, you definitely recognize her. Yeah. Um. You know, and there's a couple people that you definitely recognize in the movie. I mean, if, the fact that Hollywood. That's why I was kind of amazed by this. Is Hollywood actually participating in a movie about libertarian constitutional principles? Because there's nothing sexier than the takings clause for a good movie. Yeah. Uh, but you so know what? It is compelling. It, it is, is compelling. Totally, you watch yeah. it and you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, you, you the whole time you're like, she's a regular person. She's an EMT. She is just, she's just found this house that, you know, she's putting her life back together after being in a bad marriage, raising five boys. She's finally going to start her life over again. She finds this great little house in the middle of nowhere, right down the street from a sewage plant. She loves it. Mm-hmm. And the government comes in and takes it away from her yeah. because they they think they can make more tax money by building hotels there, which they never do. Um, and because I'm a complete loser, instead of going to Disney World on vacation, I actually went to uh, one time I went back to Connecticut to visit and went to this area for Fort, really? Fort Trumbull because I'm just fascinated by that yeah, story yeah, yeah, yeah. just to see what it looks like today. You can see the overheads. If you search for Fort Trumbull on Google Maps, you can see the overheads of it. You see about five fields, just fields. This is where their houses were cleared out fields they never built anything there they never developed it they ruined these people's lives destroyed their homes for no reason they got nothing out of it and then the only building that stands on any of the fields is the italian dramatic club now for some reason 
With I don't know what reason. Fields. I don't know what reason that could be. <laughs> Somehow, the Italian <laughs> Dramatic Club. Listen, the mob doesn't exist. No. And if it does exist, I love the mob. <laughs> but it definitely doesn't exist. Glenn Beck Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome back to the program. Glad you're here. Glenn Beck prediction time. Can we get a Glenn Beck prediction up- update? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, you say that there is a new prediction or a prediction that I've made, and it's a big one? It's a big one, and All we've right. seen some supporting evidence for it. Okay. Um, but this one is... <laughs> Just another step in that process, and I think a big one. All right. Yeah, you know, I mean, you look back at all the the, the Glenn Beck predictions over the years. There's been some bad ones. Yeah, there's been a lot of bad there's ones. There's been some bad ones. Yeah, there's been bad ones. It feels like mainly around politics. Like, I remember at one point, you like before 2008, because yeah, I get I set these little uh, yeah, yeah, ca- yeah. calendar reminders, yeah, and they yeah. pop up to me on important yeah, dates. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times they're funny because whatever you predicted now looks insane yeah um (laughs) right and it always i mean i can't say always because a lot of insane ones uh have not come true um but uh uh i'm the worst when it comes to politics because i have no idea i don't know i i cannot well you've hit some of those though i mean i you know but yes you've missed some of those as well i think big ones in 2008 you were thinking hillary clinton was going to be the the candidate for the democrats she almost was yeah but she wasn't Mm -hmm. um and if you look back at that during that time, one of your predictions was if Barack Obama wins, the gravy next stain. president, we you called him the <laughs> the gravy stain candidate. Yes. Um however, the summary that was a that was a shorthand for a guy who talks like you, who doesn't give a crap about uh I said standard. if I remember right, mm-hmm. I said he would come out and he'd be like Oh, <laughs> I farted, but don't we all fart? <laughs> yeah. And he would just be a guy who is who was the guy at the end of the bar sitting on the stool yep. that everybody could relate to. Didn't seem refined. Yes. And I mean, if that's not Donald Trump, I mean, again, that's one of the things that Trump supporters love about him, yes. right? Like, yes. that's the thing that yes. they cite. He doesn't try to be a politician. He just blurts stuff yep. out. Yep. He yep. talks like me. Yep. Uh, so that one, I think, completely came true with yes. Trump. Uh, the housing crash is a kind of a famous one from back in the day. Go back way back. I mean, I remember being on WABC in, in New York, on the air in New York in the late 90s, 98, 99, yeah. where you talked about Osama bin Laden and a terrorist attack on New York City where you'd see blood and bodies in the street. Always an uplifting program. Yeah, blood, uh, bodies, and buildings in the street yeah. within the next decade. And it was, what, two or three years later? Yeah. Uh, that wound up happening. Of course, the caliphate we talked about today already. Yeah. With... You talking about the caliphate coming? Everyone, you know, mainstream media, New York Times, everybody bashing you about being crazy for that. Yes. Almost like to the point of like they thought it was a made-up word. Yes, and uh, it wasn't. It was based on a lot of research. It was yep. that you know. Yep. Uh, and now the New York Times has not only come along to the point that there was a caliphate <laughs> and that one was built, but they've actually now memorialized it in a new podcast called the, the Caliphate. caliphate. How it happened. Which I got to say, I actually want to listen to. Um, I, I, surely at some point they'll reference the fact <laughs> that, uh, they mocked, that they mocked Glenn yeah, Beck about anyway. this. But there's another one you've made, and we've seen some supporting evidence for this, about how we're going to hit a point that the left is going to take their masks off. 
that they are going to, instead of denying that they're basically socialists in training, long-term, slow-moving progressives that are going towards socialism, they're going to come out and just say it. So we've seen some evidence backing that up. This from the New York Times today. New York Times. New York Times. I can't wait. Quote, headline, yes, I'm running as a socialist. Oh, my God. Why candidates are embracing the label in 2018. <laughs> Unbelievable. Listen to some of this. There's no question uh, primary night in Texas last month, Franklin Bynum would win the Democratic nomination to become a criminal court judge in Houston. The 34-year-old defense attorney had no challengers. But for his supporters who packed the Mexican restaurant that evening, there was still something impressive to celebrate. Many in the crowd were members of the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, a group that has experienced an enormous surge of interest since the election of President Trump. Do you remember what they used to say when I brought up the DSA? Yeah. I used to bring that up on the chalkboards all the time, and they called me a conspiracy freak. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these people are still around, and this is what's coming our way. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mr. Bynum said, yes, I am running as a socialist. End quote. Rather than shy away from being called a socialist, a word conservatives have long wielded as a slur, candidates like Mr. Bynum are embracing the label. He's among dozens of DSA members running in the fall midterms for offices all around the country at nearly every level. Wait, wait. The prediction was that they would embrace it and they'd say, damn right, I'm a socialist because this doesn't work and we have to try something. We have to try something new. Did they say anything like that? Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh, on, my gosh. Let me get All to right, this. Go ahead. So it's gone. It's, uh, in membership in the DSA has gone up seven times since November 2016. Wow. Uh, the number of organizations, almost five times as many, including 10 in Texas, Democratic Socialists of America. Studies suggest that young people with few memories of the Cold War embrace socialism far more than older people do. A 2016 survey of 18 to 29-year-olds by Harvard's Institute of Politics found that 16% identified as socialists, while 33% supported socialism. Only 42% supported capitalism, while a majority, 51%, said they did not. Those results surprised the pollsters so much they thought they made a mistake He conducted a new study, this time of the general population, and got the same result. The only group that expressed net positive support for capitalism were people over 50 years old. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Many socialist candidates sound a lot less like revolutionaries and more like traditional Democrats who seek to return the radical pose for radical Mm -hmm. ends. Um, They want they want single payer health care. Now, remember, when we talked about Obama and we said these are socialist tendencies, he wants single-payer health care, higher minimum wage, and greater protection for unions, that was called a slur, as they kind of associated here in this, in this article. However, they're def- defining it as exactly that. Others advocate more extreme ch- uh, changes, such as abolishing the prison system. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, okay. Some local Democratic Party leaders worry that taking openly, uh, talking openly about being a socialist is only going to make it harder to defeat Republicans. People are more willing to come out and say, I'm a democratic socialist running, says Jorge Roman Romero, 24, who leads the DSA chapter in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Wow, where six democratic candidates, four of whom were willing to run as democratic socialists, sought the group's endorsement. It's not a liability to say that anymore. Uh... Let's see. Can I, can I can I give you a story that I found that we're going to do on Monday? 
You have more? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Gerald uh, Bernberg, former chairman of the Harris County Democratic Party. Harris ha- County, Texas. Has discouraged Mr. Biden from talking about socialism or bail reform on the campaign trail. Socialism is too taboo in Texas. Not, not so... Not, not, socialism not socialism is, is bad. bad or wrong or terrible. Right. It's too taboo. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. What was the what was the exact prediction? There was one line that specifically supported. I said uh, that. I said that uh, that uh, they would not only come out, they would just say, "Yeah, you're right. I am a socialist because this isn't working, and we got to try something." Oh new. yeah, it was right after the polling section here because I know that exact same thing. I think we said. can. I oh, think, here it is. The, the only group that expressed net positive support for capitalism were people over fifty years old. The largest generation of Americans in history, millennials, have lost confidence. They are interested in finding a better way. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! I mean, that's exactly what you're talking about. Okay, listen to this. We're going to do something on this Monday. A wealthy Democratic donor club is plotting the future of the liberal movement in hopes to be fighting for reparations. By 2022, according Mm. to a document obtained by the Washington Free Beacon from Democracy Alliance's spring conference this last week in Atlanta, the desire was stated in the invitation for a Monday reception during the annual spring gathering attended by top Democratic officials such as the DNC chairman, also Terry McAuliffe, etc., 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 the reception way to win 2022 victory party was presented as a look forward what is possible if democrats can be effective in coming elections it's 2022 quote and we are celebrating policy victories across the nations medicare for all free college and next on the agenda reparations Mm. take a ride with us to hear from the true political geniuses that can make this happen. This is uh, the, there. The left <laughs> is very focused, very, very focused. They know what they want. They are. Uh, you could say that they're built on destruction, but they're not. They're built on building something new reparations fairness for all social justice universal basic single-payer health care a socialist state that is for some a positive vision especially for those who are young because they don't know what socialism does they have been raised in this soup this toxic soup in our educational systems that say it's all good. It's just never been done right. Well, when will government ever do something right? That is a positive vision. And conservatives better come up with a counter, a brighter vision for tomorrow, or we will lose. And as we uh, speak here, the uh, Democratic National Committee has filed a lawsuit suing the Russian government, the Trump campaign, and WikiLeaks, alleging the three entities conspired to help President Trump win the 2016 election. On what? On what? On, on what based evidence? On what? They have no evidence of this. No evidence of this. Uh, now, and that may come out, in, let's just say, 
if you want to take their side of it. Maybe something comes out in the Mueller investigation that you know, shows that, but you know they what, have nothing on you that. You know right what's now. incredible? Why are they doing this? They're only doing this so they can say, we're standing against the big evil Trump. They know they have no chance of winning, but they'll raise a ton oh, yeah. of money. Mm hmm. All right. Last two weeks, Simply Safe won the Editor's Choice Awards from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and The Wirecutter. These are the three respected product testers. They put Simply Safe through a battery of tests, compared it to all the other home security products, and Simply Safe won every single time. I've been telling you about Simply Safe for for many, many years. In my opinion, it is the best home security system, hands down. I've known the founders for years. I've worked with them since since the time they had 10 employees, they now have over 600 and they protect over uh, over 2 million Americans now. This is a home security system that you actually want in your home. This is the security system that gives you the freedom, the economic freedom and the the contractual freedom to protect your family the way you want. You own it. It's not a gadget. It's a comprehensive protection for all of your windows, your doors, your entire home. And the 24-hour-a-day, 365-days-a-year protection, the alarm monitoring, is there for you around the clock with no contract at $15 a month. No one else is doing this. Find out how much money you're going to save and find out how great this product is. I mean, the reviews are in simplysafebeck.com go there now you'll save 10% simplysafebeck.com Glenn Beck Mercury Glenn Beck A couple of show notes uh, here First of all I remember I remember when I first came to the studios and uh a guy walked in and uh, he, he, I thought it was Clint Eastwood. Um, he walked in and he had the big, uh, long cowboy coat and he was clearly a cowboy. And uh, he even had a little cup or the bottle that he was like uh, spitting in. And I'm like, we're in Texas. We're in Texas. Uh, Travis uh, has been uh, uh, working with us for years now and is just a fantastic guy. Uh, and, uh, this is his last show, um, producing for us and we're, or directing for us. And we are grateful, Travis, and we will all miss you. We won't miss the end of the cup. We won't, uh, that doesn't, Stu, you going to miss that? Probably not as yeah, much. Not as much, yeah. not as much, but, but, uh, we will, we'll miss you on, on everything else. <laughs> um, we have, uh, also an update on Pat. Uh, I talked to Pat last night. Pat has been out. He's, you know, he does the uh, Pat Gray Radio Roundup, I think is what we call it. Uh, no, at, it's Pat Gray Unleashed. Uh, <laughs> after this program on the Blaze Radio Network. And uh, first we heard that Pat was uh, passing a kidney stone. Not true. Not not pleasant, even if it were true. Yeah, not pleasant. Um, I saw him last night. He's been in and out of the hospital. He had surgery earlier this week. He woke up with pain. Uh, they thought it was a kidney stone. Uh, they had to perform surgery right away, uh, emergency surgery. And uh, apparently, um, uh, you know, his kidneys had gone into failure because I guess, I think like, uh, you know, out of the fallopian tube, there was like uh, one of the... I don't think... Are you a doctor? 
I am not a doctor. I'm a doctor. No. I'm a doctor of humanities, which means I know everything there is about the human body. Okay. I, I mean, I guess that's, you, I don't think that's what no, that means. That's but what yes, they you are. Uh, no, they, they, they bestowed it upon me. And, and so anyway, I can perform foot surgery, kidney surgery, whatever. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, uh, so, so his kidneys shut down. Uh, and he's had a really bad week. You know, when your kidneys uh, fail, it's a bad week. For you need you. those, yeah. So, uh, but I saw him last night and uh, cheered him up. I told him, I said, the audience is praying for you. I said, and they're, they're praying for a miracle. In fact, if I may, Pat, I want to read you a tweet. And so I read him uh, the tweet from the listener that said, we are praying for a miracle. Uh, and the miracle that we're praying for is that Jeffy will not be filling in for Pat uh, today. <laughs> and I think it's probably the first time in a week that Pat has laughed. Uh, and he just said, I love this audience so much. Uh, but uh, I think that miracle will be happening on Monday. Oh, good. I think he'll be back on Monday. So And uh, for, so after this program on the Blaze uh, Radio and TV, you do get Jeffy Oof. filling in for Pat. Wow. Wow. That's a good promotion, I think, now right we, there. Now we, wow. now we know wow. why Travis is jumping the ship like a rat. <laughs> is this what caused yeah, this? this is what caused is it. He's like, <laughs> because of Jeffy? Jeffy's on for five days. I'm oh, losing no. my mind. I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. Uh, so we'll see you, uh, we'll see you Monday uh, live from Los Angeles all next week. Glenn Beck. Mercury.